and it was a like was a slow drip, right? It's one of those things where I I, there, I don't think there was any way I could see it at the beginning, but looking back, you know, maybe three years later, it's like, oh crap, <laughs> that was such a mistake. I have lost so much ground, um, and so over the last two years, really trying to strip all of that away from our business and get back to conversation, get back to something that does feel really natural and yeah, feels personable, feels human. I turned 37 last month. And while I certainly don't get worked up about getting older, nor am I one for big birthday celebrations or rituals, this year, it really hit me just how much growing up I'd done in the last 12 months. I have done a lot of work on myself, and that's led to a lot of very practical work being done to the business, too. I've examined old stories that were still controlling my thoughts and actions. I've looked at the shadow side of my strengths. I've questioned myself, my motivations, and my goals to make sure I'm blazing my own trail and not chasing someone else's idea of success. And like I said, this wasn't just personal work, if there's any just about that. All of the personal work I've done has led to some very real changes in how I run my business and how I operate as a leader. Over the last year, I've worked to slow down and loop my team into ideas I have or changes I want to make. I've integrated my work into the systems that our team uses. I've gone deep into the way our core product is built and delivered to question why we do what we do and how our product could serve our customers better. I've worked to make this podcast the best in its class. Oh, which by the way, you're listening to What Works, the show that asks what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, looking back on all the work I've done over the last year, I have to admit, I am pretty damn proud of myself. So I asked myself what exactly I learned through all that work and how I could leverage it to keep the momentum going. I looked at all the ways the work I did over the last year left me feeling more fulfilled and more fully realized. And I realized that all had one thing in common. When I committed, truly, fully committed, I not only got satisfying results, I felt freaking great about the process of getting those results. When I did something just because I could or because I thought I should, I might succeed, but it didn't make me feel awesome. I ended up feeling more anxious, more self-conscious, or just plain bored. All right, so commitment. I can do that. And yes, again, this applies to both my personal life and my business life. It applies to my mindset and to the practical hands-on work I do on a daily basis. So on my birthday, I decided that the question that would shape this next year in my life would be, what am I willing to steadfastly commit to? And to answer that question, I would ask myself, what does steadfast commitment actually look like? What does steadfast commitment to a race look like? What does steadfast commitment to an offer look like? What does steadfast commitment to this podcast look like? What does steadfast commitment to my relationship look like? Now, truthfully, these questions didn't appear out of thin air. It's actually something that's been percolating for quite some time. So much of my life and business to this point has been guided by impulse. It's not that I haven't done or created meaningful things. I certainly have. But I haven't had that sense of steadfast commitment that's required to create something truly great. Three years ago, that changed. 
I pivoted my business to create more inclusive, community-oriented small business support. I made it my commitment to shine a light on all the different ways people were making their businesses work. I dedicated our resources to building a platform where people shared their own learning and talked about their own challenges. Today, three years later, I am more committed to this vision and mission than ever before. But that's not to say that this journey has been an easy one. It's been really, really hard. And without my steadfast commitment, I would have given up a long time ago. And that brings us to today's interview and this month's theme. This month, we're examining resilience in all its many forms. We're looking at what it takes to stick with an idea, a project, a business, a commitment, and all the stuff that threatens to get in our way while we do it. Over the course of this month, you'll hear from Charlie Gilkey on how to start finishing the things that you start. You'll hear from Alethea Fitzpatrick on finding the right business to pursue and how natural growth followed when she did. You'll also hear from Tommy Griffith, who left his incredible job at Airbnb to turn his side hustle into a full-time gig and ended up being stolen from in Bali. Joe Casey will share how her journey through anxiety and other mental health challenges has helped her create the business she has today. Cynthia Morris will share how she's worked through the ups and downs of over 20 years in business. And you'll hear from Rebecca Ching, who has made learning and growing from her mistakes one of her top goals. But today, you're going to hear from me. Now, a few months back, I got an email from Malia Russell, the founder and host of Big Dreams, Bold Moves, which helps expat families deal with the challenges and opportunities of living and working abroad. Malia wanted to know if I do an episode on what works for what works. So I invited her to interview me and pick my brain about how things have evolved at what works, why we've landed on running things the way we do, the mistakes I've made along the way, and what goes on behind the scenes. By the end of this conversation, I think you'll have a better idea of why I'm steadfastly committed to what works and the philosophy that powers it. Plus, you'll learn more about what's working for us right now. Keep listening to find out what works for me and what works. Malia Russell, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So we're doing things a little bit differently today. Instead of me interviewing you, you are interviewing me and kind of pricking my brain about the What Works Network, podcasting, membership sites, all that good stuff. Um, so I'm going to toss it back over to you and uh, let's let's dig into this. Okay. Are you ready for question number one? I am ready for question number one. Okay. So your website describes the What Works Network as being small business owners of all ages, backgrounds, and business models. How would you define your target audience? Yeah. This, so this is such a great place to start because um, our target audience is kind of all over the place, demographically speaking. Um, our network, our community is fairly diverse in terms of ages. We have everyone from in their 20s to in their 60s. Um, from business models, we have artists and makers. We have people who actually have physical spaces. Um, we have digital product creators, course creators, productized service businesses, bespoke sp service businesses, you name it, they're in there. Um, and they come from all over too. They're not, you know, some of them come from middle America. Some of them are in Australia. Some are, you know, um, somewhere in Europe. They're just, you know, everybody comes from all over the place. Um, but we all have a few things in common. And so we really look at what are the things that we have in common that actually 
make the community a better, uh, you know, a better place to be, a, a smarter place to hang out, um, and something that is as effective for small business owners as possible. So those things that we have in common are one, uh, that we're a community for established business owners. So that typically means that our members are at least past year one in their businesses. And the reason for that is because we believe the best thing you can be doing in year one in your business is being heads down, trying to sell your product, sell your service, and just figure out what your offer really is and how it, it is best sold. That's work you kind of have to do on your own. And I think that you know while a lot of people kind of get stuck in the cycle of taking course after course after course in that first year or trying to learn as much as possible from other people... One of the best things that you can do starting out is just figuring it out, figuring out for yourself what you sell and how you sell it. And the only way to do that is to make the thing or or do the thing that you sell and to talk to people about buying it. <laughs> and so that's what we want people to be doing in year one. Um, past that, that's when talking to other small business owners can be extremely helpful. Um, and it's not that it's not helpful at the beginning, um, but it's easy. It's easy to get distracted right? So we really focus on business owners who are past that first year. Uh, and a lot of our members, in fact, a majority of our members have been in business for three years or longer. So these are experienced small business owners. They're people who have been uh, selling their product or service for quite a while. Uh, and they're looking at how to make their business better. And that's really the, the thing too that we have in common is our members are not trying to figure out how their business works. They're not trying to figure out whether they can pay the bills or not with their businesses. They have something that works and they're trying to make it better. Um, whether that to them means bigger or it means more effective or it means more streamlined and efficient. Uh, different people define that differently, but everyone has that same goal in common that they want to make their businesses better. Um, and then the third thing that our target audience really has in common is that they're trailblazers, right? Like they don't like to be told what to do, where to go, or exactly how to do things. And we all kind of backtrack on that from time to time too, right? Like everyone wishes there was a blueprint for making a million dollars. And we all recognize that as, as tempting as it is to think that there might be, there really, really isn't. Uh, and so that's why they really value the kind of um, you know, back and forth conversation that we facilitate inside of the What Works Network. Um, so they're really focused on talking about their challenges, talking about their opportunities, talking about what's going well and how it might be able to go better, uh, asking people questions about how they run their businesses, uh, and just looking for what they don't know or what they might not realize is working as well as it could, um, and really trying to figure out what works for them. Um, and the only way we know how to do that is through, um, you know, just kind of those casual conversations or those um, really in-depth conversations that you have with other small business owners. The Those kinds of answers aren't in a course. They may not even be in coaching, um, but they kind of rise to the surface the more and more and more we trade notes and, and talk with other small business owners. So those are the three things uh, that our 
target audience has in common. And that's how we know whether someone is going to be a good fit for our community or not. And also whether they're going to feel really comfortable inside of our community, because that's also really, really important to us. Um, you know, it's easy to think, oh, we can help everyone, but not everyone wants to be helped in the way we want to help them. And that's fine. Um, and I, I wish them the best, but we want to make sure that we're uh, really focused on the kinds of people who we can help and who are going to feel comfortable and really get the most out of the kind of environment that we've created. Awesome. So how did you all find each other? How did What is the story behind the What Works Network? How did you arrive at this niche or how did you find your people? Yeah. So <laughs> I would say over the years, my people have definitely found me. <laughs> um, and I... Yeah, this is such a good question because it has been such a long and winding road, right? Like I started off, you know, my very first website was around artists and makers in Pennsylvania. And now here I am serving small business owners from all over the world in all sorts of different types of businesses. Um, one thing I think that has helped us find each other is just the amount that I have been willing to be visible over the years um, and the amount that I've been willing to respond to the people who have responded to my work, the work that has been visible. So whether that was blogging as it was in the beginning or whether it's podcasting as it is now, um, you know, my goal has been to always be sort of in this call and response conversation with people who are interested. Um, and so it just so happens that the what I am interested in, what I'm talking about, attracts this group of people who are more experienced, um, who value these kinds of nitty gritty conversations. Um, those kinds of people are wanting to be in conversation with me. So they talk back, right? They uh, ask questions, they uh, pose scenarios, they ask about uh, trends that they see or problems that they have or challenges that they've run into or obstacles that they can't seem to get past. And as we're in this kind of conversation, uh, I'm then inspired to create more content and that keeps the conversation going. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I hate to make it some sort of like cop-out answer that it's like, it's co content marketing, but that's essentially what it's been. Um, but for me, content marketing isn't just like listicles that I put out on my blog or podcast episodes that are specially designed to get a person from point A to point B to point sale. Um, but instead, is I really think about it as this ongoing conversation. What do I hear my audience calling for? How can I respond to that? And then how can I keep listening to the next thing that they need and the next thing that they need and the next thing that they need? And yes, thinking about that strategically so that we are moving people toward a sale, we are inviting them into a community, we are um, creating the things that they need and offering them, uh, offering those things to them. But at the heart of it is this ongoing conversation, which I think it it's very fitting and it's very almost predictable that my business has ended up where it's ended up in that uh, my marketing is literally conversations. It's, you know, it's these inter interviews like this one. It's interviews where I'm doing the question answering or question asking. And it's this community where the whole point is having these kinds of conversations. That's been a theme throughout 
my business and how I've built my audience and how I've brought, brought this community together over the last 10 and a half years now. Um, and it is sort of what the basis of the business is today. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of where my my head went uh, when you asked it. Yeah. And I think for me, what's attracted me to you is the what you're not doing, which is you can feel when I go to your website or when I listen to your podcast, I can feel that it isn't about hype and gimmicks and opt-ins and pop-ups. It just feels more like a conversation and like someone you you feel like someone I I want to hang out with and listen to and your people feel the same way. So well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, we've done those things. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that like I've been a quote unquote above that for my whole career. I absolutely have not. There was a quite a while, um, at least a number of years there in the middle where um, I was really trying to accelerate progress through, I wouldn't call them gimmicks necessarily, but definitely pop-ups, lots of email opt-in incentives, tons of webinars. And it got to feeling contrived for me. And so much of what has brought people to me in the past, I knew was not contrived. It was natural. It was inspired. It was, um, to use a very overused word, authentic. And the more I tried to put other people's uh, marketing into my own, so you know, all of those opt-in incentives, the pop-ups, the webinars, whatever, uh, the more I did that, the less it felt like me and the more contrived it felt. And it took a long time to realize for me, but the results started slowing down. I wasn't accelerating progress. In fact, I was turning people off. I was losing people that had loved the work that I was doing for years. Um, and it was a like it was a slow drip, right? It's one of those things where I, I, there, I don't think there was any way I could see it at the beginning. But three, looking back, you know, maybe three years later, it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> that was such a mistake. I have lost so much ground. Um, and so over the last two years, really trying to strip all of that away from our business and get back to conversation, get back to something that does feel really natural and, um, yeah, feels personable, feels human. Um, and so that's kind of humanness or humaneness has been a, a central value for us as we rework and redefine the business, um, at, you know, in this stage. Um, and so stripping out those kind of gimmicks and hypey things has been a really important part of that. It's so refreshing. Thank you. <laughs> it gives one hope that uh, things can be done differently and absolutely. work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have such a, a privilege of seeing sort of inside, you know, what is really working and what's not really working. Um, because there's a lot of, so much of the hype is getting people to believe that what you're doing is working, right? Uh, and I am in a position where I can say, oh no, that literally is just hype. You are just saying that that's working so that people buy the thing you're saying is working. Um, but the reality is the those kind of gimmicky things, those hypey things, that's not what the million dollar business owners are doing. It's not what the people who are taking months off from their business at a time because they can are doing. Um, those are things that people who are desperate are doing um, or people who are 
you know, they, they mean well, they truly, truly do. And they just think, oh, this must be how it's done. That's what they're doing. Um, but I, like I said, I get the privilege of seeing like, what is actually working? And it's not that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So how did you come up with the idea to start the What Works Network as it is today? So um, the What Works Network as it is today really came out of sort of a a reckoning moment in my business. We had been running a coaching program called Quiet Power Strategy for about five years. Um, and I loved that program. I still love that program, even though we don't sell it and we don't offer it anymore. Um, and I, I loved the basis of that program. And the basis of that program was, yes, there are some fundamental things that we can all uh, benefit from in terms of being business owners, understanding your brand better, understanding your marketing better, understanding your products and services better, understanding your business model better, and really intentionally defining those things. And that's what that program did was walk people through that process little bit by little bit. But to me, the most valuable part of that coaching program was the fact that we did it in small groups. When we started, um, it was small group coaching with me. So people would kind of do the work on their own, uh, and then they would come into our group coaching calls. Uh, I would answer questions. I would ask them questions. We'd talk through different concepts and different options. And then um, there was always the component of being able to talk to the other people in the group, too, because what I could see from my previous work as, as a business coach was that often people were just so incredibly siloed in their businesses, so incredibly lonely in their businesses that they were actually missing out on opportunities to grow faster, uh, to grow better because they were alone, because they were isolated from ideas, from feedback, from support. Um, and so a really important part of that program was the camaraderie that we could build in those small groups. Later on, we did that by by uh, training quiet power strategy coaches and having them work with small groups. And then I would work with the larger group. Um, but over time, and I think, you know, partially through mistakes that I made and partially through just what was happening in the market, um, I became, I got into the position of being the one that had all the answers. So instead of people looking to themselves for answers and talking through with other members of their group, what possible answers there might be, um, it started very slowly but surely to end up being that like Tara has the right answer. And if I can just ask Tara, then all of my problems will be solved. <laughs> and I did not like being in that position. And, you know, at first it was sort of, again, it's a slow drip kind of thing. Like at first I didn't really notice it. And first, like I love sharing my opinion about things. I love having answers to questions. So there was part of it that was very fun and attractive. But over time, I started to get worn down. I started to feel like, well, you know, if the answer is always, it depends, you know, is that that's really unsatisfying for people. Or if the answer is like, um, or if, you know, what I really think is that they should talk to other people or that they need to research their customers more uh, and come up with their own answers. Like that's a really unsatisfying answer. Uh, and so I realized that ha feeling like I always had to have the answer to all the questions was exhausting to me. I was burnt 
out. Uh, and I really needed to come up with a different way to support small business owners in the way that I had really wanted to small, serve small business owners from the get-go, which is having them help each other and talk to each other. So the solution to that became really be, really focusing on uh, not just bringing people together, but providing a platform for people to connect uh, small business owner to small business owner, business challenge to business challenge, um, and really putting my emphasis and uh, my focus and my emphasis instead on being the coach as just being the facilitator of this platform and making this platform work as, as well as it possibly could. So that's then how we decided to close down Quiet Power Strategy and really um, put all of our effort into what has become the What Works Network. Um, and so that was a bit of a challenge at first, um, getting out of that role and really refocusing my effort on becoming the facilitator of this platform and thinking through almost in a almost on a software kind of level, like how does this work? What kind of operations do we need to put in place? What kind of systems do we need to put in place? Um, but that's that's how that's how the transition uh, kind of happened. And how did you consult with your audience in that process of trying to come up with what was best for the community? That's a really good question. Um, I didn't that time. <laughs> um, I yeah, to be a hundred percent transparent. This was something, and you know, and how did that work? Yeah, so it didn't work. It was not bad. Um, I'm trying to think like the best way to to explain this. So I am, I would say I am constantly consulting with my audience, right? Um, and, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with content strategy, where I feel like I am always in this kind of call and response, ongoing conversation with the people who listen to the podcast, read my emails, do join, you know, do join our programs and and buy our products. Um, and so I am intimately familiar with their challenges, with. Uh, their goals, with how they feel, with um, you know what they're being bombarded with in the marketplace, and so when I'm thinking about the direction of the business or a new product to roll out, there are certainly times where I will do a special level of research. But often I have the information I need, and I, what I need to do more than talk to people since that's what I do constantly is actually go away for a while and think. Um, and I know like when I've talked about this with other people, uh, sometimes that is really surprising or it's something that a lot of people don't really prioritize is the time to step away from the business, allow yourself space and just think about what you want to do next. Um, and so that's what I did. It was the end of 2016. Um, there was, you know, so much up in the air, especially here in the United States. Um, it was a really crazy, confusing time. And so not only did I kind of take a step back uh, from the business and take a step back from just, I, I was taking a step back in general and just really saying, what do I want for my life? What do I want for my business? What habits do I have that need to change? Um, and just really thinking like, okay, what could this look like? If this is what I want, how do I make that happen? What does that look like? Uh, and so I wasn't consulting with our current 
community or, or of the current audience because I'm always consulting with them. And it really was just a, a need for me to say what, given what I know about where they're at, what they need, how they feel, what do I need to create for them? Um, and so we did that. And in terms of like, what was the result of that? Um, we had a pretty lengthy change management process in place for the transition. And that basically happened throughout December and January of that year. So it took, it was about a two month change management process where we started to let them know what was happening, why it was happening. Um, we, you know, tons of reassurance of like, you're not losing this, that, or the other thing. And here are all the things that you're gaining. Um, and th these were for either the people who are continuing to pay us for uh, the community that was established already. Um, or, you know, just people who were around and in our orbit um, kind of went through this change management process with us, which also allowed us as a team to think, to think it all through and to make sure we were all on the same page. Um, and we definitely, it, I won't say that change management process was perfect. It certainly was not. Um, there are things that we would do differently and have done differently in the past uh, or in the last two years as we've made other changes. But um, I think we did do a good job, a better job than we had done previously of explaining what we were doing and why and how it was a real benefit to our community. And so largely it went very smoothly and people were really excited about what we were doing, even though I hadn't necessarily used uh, the time before that or the thinking time, the creation time to get their buy-in explicitly, if that makes sense. Okay. And did you do like a beta launch initially with your existing members? Yeah, so we transitioned our existing members into the new community um, just sort of as like a one-to-one. -one. It was basically just a continuation of the membership that some of them had had for two, three, four years. Um, so it wasn't so much a beta launch as it was just the process of getting them into the new product, getting them familiar with the new brand, getting them familiar with um, the new space, uh, getting them familiar with the new philosophy behind the community and reassuring them at every turn, sometimes individually, sometimes through that change management process, um, sometimes just through the normal course of business. Um, so there wasn't really any sort of beta launch. It was more just getting that existing community into place getting them to do the same things that they'd been doing for years was just talking to each other, being very, very civil, being very clear headed. Uh, we have an awesome community culture. And so our goal was to kind of continue that community culture into the new product. Um, and so that's what that looked like. So it wasn't really a beta launch. Once we had that in place, then we launched publicly. So like I said, the transition was sort of December into January. Um, by March, we had launched publicly. We went, yeah, we went live with, with the, the community as it was. And what did that public launch look like? Yeah. So that public launch, um, first off, I would do so many things differently today. <laughs> oh, but, wonderful. Let's hear all about it. Well, um, I mean, there's, there's like literally so much. Um, although at the same time, you know, part of it maybe was just execution. I don't know. It was what we did was really try to get our existing community on board to help us launch. And it is that I suppose, actually, that's largely what we do 
today as well. Um, we just do it much better. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing at that time and it's fine. <laughs> so, um, what we did was put together sort of, um, a campaign, um, around the idea of the, the, the quote or the, like the mantra that we used was we are the new economy, um, which is a kind of a, a phrase that I had been using for years and years. Um, we got t-shirts made, we got mugs made, we did graphics, we ha- asked people to share their stories. Uh, and so it was just sort of this blast of this idea of we are the new economy and we're really excited about this community and come join us and be a part of this new economy too, or you're already a part of this new economy, like come be part of the community for people in the new economy. Um, and so it wasn't, it was not ineffective. It was definitely effective. Um, but I have learned a lot since that initial launch. And those, I think that's probably where I can say we do things so differently today, which is that um, at the time that we launched that, even though it was a really community-driven effort, I was still very much in the headspace of being the educator slash expert style brand of being someone who has the answers, who can teach you the thing that you need to know. And that's the only form of marketing that I knew. I knew if I come, you know, if I have a product to sell you, then I can teach you something that's related to that product. You will learn this thing for free and then you will want to buy my other product. Right. And so, so much of my thinking in the first year of having uh, what has become the What Works Network um, was around how do I transfer that marketing style, that marketing system into this community? And the answer is you cannot do that <laughs> because if I set myself up in the marketing as an expert and educator, then when people enter the community, they expect me to be an expert and educator. Um, but we didn't even get that far because what would happen is I would teach something or I would be all experty with you. And then I would transition and say, I, you know, I would transition to our value proposition, which is essentially that, um, you know, when you join the network, you get access to this amazing community of people that you can talk to and ask questions of. And it was just a completely disjointed offer. And so really, all of our marketing in that first year felt unaligned, disjointed, and was highly, in retrospect, highly ineffective. It's not that we didn't enroll people. It's not that sometimes our numbers were awesome. But looking back, it was a mess. And what would happen is, you know, people would join maybe on a whim, but then they'd leave right away. Because like, well, this isn't what Tara just gave me in a webinar or what she just said in an email. This is something completely different. I don't want to be here. Um, And so our, our, retention rate in that first year was abysmal um, relative to what we can do now um, and relative to what we, you know, what we expect from the, from the community. So that's like the main thing that has changed and that I do really, 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 really differently today. Was there anything in particular that helped you get really clear about what your messaging was? Um, well, one failing often, <laughs> you know, I am, and I think get, being honest with myself that I was failing, like it's, I, 
I don't know if you're um, familiar with sort of the idea of entrepreneurial optimism, but entrepreneurs are actually really good at being optimistic, right? Like we think things are going to work out. We like our default default mode is that whatever happens, this is a good thing. And or whatever happens, like there's, yeah, I'm succeeding. Like, and we can fool ourselves, I think, into thinking that we're succeeding for so long, for me, I was definitely doing that for a while in that first year. I was really good at fooling myself into thinking, this is working. It was not working. <laughs> and so step one was getting honest with actually looking back at what we were doing and saying, this is failing. This is not working. Um that was really important. That was the first step to getting clear on what the messaging was. I had to acknowledge that the current messaging was crap. <laughs> um, it sounds simple and obvious, but I think it's, it was a really important step for me. The next important step to that was why? Why is this crap? Why is this not working? And that was getting down to this kind of um, almost identity crisis around like, I don't know how to to market this business if I can't market it as an expert and educator, because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at marketing the business this way. From there, it was really looking at how people use the community most effectively. Because we knew, and this was sort of one of the most frustrating things about failing regularly, <laughs> was that we had people in the community who had been there for years, who were obsessed with the product, who uh, credited the com uh, the conversations and the relationships that they had uh, with people in that network with huge victories in their businesses, right? Um, you know, people can can tie hundreds, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue to the relationships and the conversations that they've had in the What Works network, which is awesome. Except it's like, okay, so we, why do we have this group of people who's obsessed with this product, but we can't convince other people to join in and become a part of it and become a part of the conversation? So we started really looking at how the people who were most successful inside of the network, how they were using it, why they were using it, what was different about the way they were using it versus the way someone else coming in from the outside was using it. That's where we started to really realize like, okay, we need to start talking more about the actual conversations that we're having here. We need to start modeling those conversations more. We need to start shedding light uh, publicly on the kinds of things that we're shedding light on privately. Uh, and that's when we really started to tie the podcast into the community. Um, and so that's when the that's when the podcast got rebranded. It's what led to the network being uh, rebranded. And it's what then led to the messaging that we have today that is really working, where I can say, okay, our last two enrollment campaigns, not only did we meet our goals, we doubled our goals, <laughs> you know, and being able to say that's a legitimate victory. It may not be exact. It might not be everything that we want it to be yet, but we are so closer to being on the, the right path than we were a while back. Um, and so that's that's sort of like the progression of how we found this messaging. But it really came down to the fact of asking ourselves, 
what is it about our power users that make them love this product? And how can we take the take that experience of the power users and make that the public experience and match it to the private experience once people actually are inside of the community as well? That is such great advice. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like you should write an ebook for people that are going to launch a Mighty Network or a membership community. We probably should do that. Yes. <laughs> you probably should. That's awesome. Um, and were you, have you ever used the network to um, bring your own questions to? Like, oh, have you participated as a network member? That That is such a good question. Um, I have definitely asked questions in the network before, but um, I will totally admit that I think I still have a lot of that. I still have a lot of baggage from the expert slash educator identity that I wore for so many years. And so I am always very reticent to bring my actual problems or challenges into our community. That said, my own solution is still community. Like I have a um, a group of peers that I take my challenges to, whether that's one-on-one or as a group. Um, and I have been a huge fan of masterminds and, uh, you know, just and, and private communities for a very long time. And so while I may not use my own community in perhaps the way that I probably should, I use the same kind of solution. Uh, my answer is almost never to take a course or to hire a coach. It's to go to peers and say, what are you doing? What do you see going on? Um, what can, you know, what can I do here? What ideas do you have for me? Can we talk this out? Um, and so my recourse is the same as the recourse of our members. I am just still very reticent to air my dirty laundry (laughs) in our community. You'll hear about my own imposter syndrome and even a time when I wanted to burn it all down and start over in just a minute. But first a word from our what works partner. What works is brought to you by mighty networks. Look, both content marketing and social media marketing are changing. People are becoming more and more careful with the way they spend time online. They're craving more genuine connection with the right people more than they're looking to connect with the whole wide world. They're also becoming a lot more careful with the information they're consuming online. They're slower to give out their email addresses and they're wary of your sales funnels. But changing trends in online behavior don't have to spell disaster for your online business, nor does it mean it's impossible to get a new business off the ground today. Today, more than ever, people are searching out trusted sources for connection, information, inspiration, and ideas. They might be wary of billion-dollar corporations banking on algorithms, but they're excited about the people and brands who are making a genuine effort to understand their problems and create innovative solutions. And that's where you come in. It's also where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks helps you connect with your audience like you've never been able to before. Start conversations, answer questions, share articles, build online courses, create private or premium groups. Mighty Networks puts you in control of creating the ultimate social, educational, or support network for your right people. Now here at What Works, Mighty Networks is helping us unlock our mission of connecting 10,000 small business owners and leveling the playing field for success as an entrepreneur today. To find out more about what you can build with Mighty Networks and give it a try for free, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. 
www.thrivingmom.com. So you were saying that you were feeling kind of off with things before you launched the the What Works Network. Was there any other times that you felt like your business was off or you wanted to quit or hadn't had like feelings of imposter syndrome? Mm. So I have definitely suffered from imposter syndrome most of the 10 and a half years I've been in business. Um, and my, my dear friend, Tanya Geisler, who is an expert in the imposter complex would say, um, that that's because I care. Uh, she says anyone who cares about the work that they do, about the people that they do it for, um, about the impact that they want to have in the world, because we care, that's why we suffer, uh, from imposter complex. So yes, absolutely. Uh, have there been other times that I wanted to throw the towel in? Uh, yeah. Uh, I would say though, the, what, what I was dealing with in 2016 was definitely the most I had felt like that in the 10 years I had been in business and from talking to a lot of people, I just had a conversation with a friend the other day, uh, and she told me she wanted to burn her business to the ground, and she'd been in business a similar amount of time. Um, between years like 8 and 10, 11 maybe, it seems to be very common <laughs> that we want to throw in the towel, burn it down, and run the other way. And so, uh, I feel like I was, I'm in pretty good company with the bit of an existential crisis that I had then. And there were all sorts of ideas that I had that year. Uh, one that I actually plunked some money down on, uh, was starting a bra company and in retrospect, man, I probably should have done that. (laughs) Not, not, not instead of what we've done, but in addition to what we've done, because the marketplace for bras has gone exactly where I hoped it would go and where I was expecting it to go. And I could have gotten in on the ground floor of that, but I did not. Anyhow, that was that year. Um, Previously, I I would say that anytime you have seen a sizable pivot in my business, and there have been several, that's a time when I've really been at a crossroads and probably. just not, not doing well mentally, um, in retrospect and, and kind of looking back and trying to figure out what was really going on there. Most of the time when I have felt like burning my business to the ground or making a big pivot, what was, what's really been happening is self-sabotage where I am at a place where the options are stop or get a lot better at what you're doing. I'm really good at saying, I don't know if I want to work that hard. (laughs) I don't know if I have it in me to get a lot better at what I'm doing right now. Um, And so a big part of the personal work I've been doing over the last two and a half years is getting okay with doing hard things. In fact, relishing doing hard things, relishing getting a lot better at what I do, relishing recognizing my weaknesses and working on them. And that's something that's been true in my business, but it's also been true in my my personal life and just sort of my mental health journey as well. Um, and so, yeah, so absolutely, I have had these kinds of crises throughout 
uh, my 10 years, there have been times when my confidence has been really, really high and times when my confidence has been really, really low. Um, and I think that, yeah, like I said, every time I've made a big change at the core of that has been some sort of act of self-sabotage. And I hope my goal anyway, is that with the What Works Network and with the What Works podcast, what I've done is break the cycle of that self-sabotage. It is so refreshing to hear that you are also so human because <laughs> as an outsider, it feels like you do everything very well and you do hard things very well. That's a new thing. <laughs> so it's interesting how our demon our it's interesting how our demons can tell us otherwise inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was in a mastermind, facilitating a mastermind group um, just last week. And one of the participants said to me that he had heard my interview with uh, Claire Pelletro on Get Paid. Uh, and he said that it was refreshing to hear that I don't have everything figured out. And I was like, dude, of course, I don't have everything figured out. No one has everything figured out. Um, some of us might be further along. Some of us just have more authoritative voices, which is basically the case in my point, in my, um, from my point of view or from in my case. Um, but no, nobody has it all figured out. Nobody, um, is immune from suffering a crisis of confidence. No one, uh, doesn't have times when they want to burn it all to the ground and start over. Um, most, I think entrepreneurs fantasize about that on a regular basis, regardless of how successful their businesses are. And, um, and I am just one of those people. And when have you felt the best about your business? Ooh, probably right now. Um, and I don't feel best about my business right now because we're making the most money we've ever made because we are definitely not. Um, but I feel best about my business right now because everything we do revolves around getting better at what we already do. It's not about adding things. It's not about trying new things. It's literally saying, okay, we have built the foundation. What does it take to build the first floor and the second floor and the third floor and the fourth floor? How do we build it stronger? How do we build it so that it looks nicer? How do we build it so more people want to be there? What does that look like? And I am relishing that process right now. And I'm drawing an immense amount of confidence from that that process, which again, is a very, very new thing for me. It's why I'm hopeful that I have broken the cycle of self-sabotage, at least in this, in this iteration. Um, and so that's, that's new and awesome. Um, another time I think that I have felt really good about what I was doing, um, is probably like my time on creative live. If you're familiar with that, um, it's a video education platform. They do a lot of classes for small business owners, for photographers, for artists, um, and just kind of creative, creative people in general. Um, and I loved my time there, I think very much for the same reason. It was like every time I got to do a class there. It's like, how can I make this better than the last one? How can I feel even more mastery at this? Um, one of my top values is mastery. And so if I am working toward mastery and I feel masterful or even like moving toward being masterful, I'm a very happy person. I feel very aligned. I feel very on purpose. I feel very in my element. And so even though the, for a lot of people, I think that creative live experience of like doing a three-day class on, you know, in front of cameras on video would be terrifying. 
I just felt like this is the best thing ever. And I am awesome at this. And like, let's go. When can I come back? What else can I do for you? Um, and so that was another time where I felt just really confident and, and really on top of things. And where do you feel like your business right now could use more mastery? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> what, um, what's on your to-do list? What's at the top? Yeah. Um, I think what is on the top for me right now is figuring out how I can be personally okay with and then figuring out the best process for enlisting other people, uh, enlisting our community's help in growing the community. Um, I am really fine and okay with showing up and telling everybody how great the what works network is and why they should join and all you know I'm I am fine talking about what we do how we do it and why people should join I am fine marketing I love marketing uh, I love sales I am really terrible at asking other people to do it for me I'm really terrible at asking people for testimonials for case studies um I'm terrible at saying hey would you share this with your friends like and unfortunately, or fortunately, those are the actions that could really move us forward right now. Because, um, you know, I'm my audience is growing as it always is, um, but I can only reach so many people on my own. My voice only carries so far. I need other people to say, this is important to me. Here's why I want you to be a part of it. And um, I am really terrible at asking for that. Uh, so we've, we're, definitely moving in that direction. We're, um, well, uh, when this airs, we will have just wrapped up um, a community project called the Candid Confidence Project, uh, where we're asking members to contribute their stories and then to share um, about the Candid Confidence Project on their social media, in email, just to, you know, t just telling people about it um, and kind of getting a taste of the network that way. Um, so it is something that we're actively working on, but it is definitely, it is my big, it's one of my greatest weaknesses right now. Let's put it that way. Is there a way you could incentivize the members to share so that you feel more like, like you're rewarding them for their efforts? Yes. Yeah, so we have tried that, that. You feel better about it. We tried that in the past because it would make me feel better about it <laughs> and it did not work. Oh, and really? there is actually, yeah, there's actually psychological studies on why it doesn't work. Um, why paying people or rewarding people for that kind, what should be, or what is most likely to be, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word that like I want to use, but extrinsic like natural rewards. behavior. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Using extrinsic rewards for intrinsic, um, mo actually behavior that is intrinsically motivated backfires. Um, and so it's better for us to find a way to tap into that intrinsic motivation in order to, uh, get people to share versus trying to reward them. Okay. Good insights. I, know. Again. I, wish, I wish we could just pay people to do it. <laughs> I know, right? Then you'd feel... I would like to throw money at that problem. Definitely. Um, so where do you see your business in five years? Um, 
where I want to see the business and where I believe the business is going in the next five years, our goal is to connect 10,000 small business owners inside of the What Works network. Um, because ultimately, our goal is to support this new, this uh, sort of this emerging generation, this emerging wave of small business owners uh, to have a great, as, as big of an impact in their communities as possible. We believe that the kind of business owners that we're connecting inside of the network um, are helping their communities become more compassionate, more equitable, um, and and just you know they're they're going back to their communities and creating better communities through their businesses. Um, and so we really, really want to be a part of that. And that's why that 10,000 small business owner goal is, is so important to us. And we believe what we have in place today is what we need to do to get there in the next five years. So that's, that's where we're headed. I think having that, um, sort of bigger picture, look at it, taking that looking at it through that lens is going to help you keep from getting burned out too and making it more sustainable. Like it's not just about the network or the members. It's like really you want to see that good rippling out into the community and the greater world. Yeah. I mean, it's our why, right? Um, You know, Simon Sinek, start with why. That's our why. It's been our why for a really long time. And I think in this iteration of the business, the product that we have, the community that we have, that why is more relevant than ever. And it is absolutely what inspires me and our team on a daily basis. Oh, it just inspired me. Oh, good. (laughs) Goosebumps. And what do you wish you would have known when you were just getting started? Um, what I wish I would have known when I was just getting started is that I have nitty gritty things and I have big picture things. Let's, let's focus on big picture for now. If you want to know the nitty gritty things, I can, I can tell you those too. But, um, I think what I wish I would have known from a big picture perspective is how important quality conversations with people really was. Um, you know, I think that at the beginning, I was having those kinds of quality conversations, but I saw it as sort of like a means to an end. And I didn't realize that they were the end in and of themselves, that talking to people is sort of talking to people, gathering people together. That's what a business is all about, whether your business is community based or it's something else like bringing people together around something that they care about and something that you care about, solving their problems, helping them solve their own problems. That's what a business is all about. It's not talking to people isn't a means to an end. It is the end. Um, And, you know, different businesses kind of capitalize on that in different ways or draw value out of that in different ways. But it is like I... I think for a long time, I was like, I'm doing this now, but then I'm not going to have to do it anymore because I'm, I'm such an introvert. Like sometimes those kinds of things can be really draining to me or it can be really stressful to me. But at the same time, like I love it and I should have doubled down on it instead of trying to move away from it. And so where we are now is really doubling down on it. Um, and I think that's why I feel really in flow now. It's why I feel really masterful right now. It's why I'm more confident now. Um, and I think it's also why the business is in the, headed in the right direction right now. Well, thank you. Thank you. Those are such great questions. Yeah, thanks. I feel like I got a lot of answers to my personal questions. Um, for me personally, like as a 
podcaster just getting going, I want to start having more of those conversations with my listeners and I want them to be able to start having these conversations. And I'm just not sure how to get started with that. Like, do I, what mediums, I guess, do you recommend initially to get a conversation going or how have you, how have you been speaking with people like before you had the mighty network? How did you talk to them? Yeah. So this is where like the idea of the minimum viable product, you can apply that to anything, right? You want to be looking at minimum viable conversations. (laughs) What are the, what are the minimum viable tools that you need to have the conversations you want to have? Um, what I generally recommend for people thinking about going the direction of creating a community, creating a, a, a membership site is start with phone calls, start with email chains, like email four people and ask them, email four people together and say, hey, I think the five of us, because, you know, include yourself, could have a really great conversation about X. I have these questions. Can you answer them? Um, I'll provide my answers and we can have a conversation about it. Obviously, don't do that without people's permission, but um, like do that. It's not marketing. It's a conversation. Get them on, then maybe get them on the phone and you can have a group conversation on Zoom or on Skype or Google Hangouts or whatever you like. Um, And then from there, you know, just be thinking about how can I continue to bring people together? How can I continue to talk to people? It doesn't have to be a community. It doesn't have to be a membership site. It doesn't have to happen in a fancy social media group platform. Uh, Getting people together and getting them to care about each other and care about uh, their mutual problems is the first step. And none of that other stuff matters if you can't establish that mutual care and concern that is the center of any community or mastermind group or uh, you know, cohort of students, whatever it is, however you're looking at your community, that sort of mutual care and concern is, is the fir- very first step. You don't need fancy technology for that. You don't need a huge list of people. You don't need a ton of listeners. You just need a conversation and a willingness uh, to, you know, kind of come together and hash things out. Thank you for that also. You're welcome. <laughs> So Malia, can you tell our listeners like a little bit more about you and your podcast and where to find you? So I'm Malia and you can find me over at bigdreamsboldmoves.com. I've created a podcast and it's for families that are interested in moving abroad or taking like a gap year, traveling the world for an extended period of time. And I've been interviewing families that have done this and we're just having that exact conversation, learning about what it's like where they've been, what it's like where they're living, what it's like raising a family there, asking those kinds of nitty gritty questions, and also learning about how exactly they made it happen. Because I think there are a lot of people that kind of have this dream that they'd like to move abroad with their family, but they don't know how to make it happen. I know for me, like I love watching House Hunters International and I love seeing these families go to these exotic locations. And I'm always wondering like, well, how did, how did you get a visa? How did you get a job? How, how are you paying for this place? Or how are you, you see people on YouTube or Instagram right now that are these families that are traveling the world for extended periods of time. And, um, you just wonder like, did you sell your house? Did you sell your car? How are you financially funding this? So 
on my podcast, I'm interviewing these families and asking them those questions. So it's a great source of information for families interested in in doing something like that. I'm also interviewing experts on things like um, visas. So I had I'm, I just talked to an Australian immigration relocation agent, and asked questions about how families could go about getting visas to Australia, as well as different international recruiters that are looking for employees to come to different countries. So I'm just, um, yeah, having that conversation over on my podcast, Big Dreams, Bold Moves. I love it. And just one more question for me. What makes you interested in going the membership or community route with your business? Well, I think that there is just so much value in having these conversations. And I, for me personally, I would rather talk to people about like, well, what have you found in your research or mm-hmm. how exactly, how did you make this happen? What did you think when, when this happened? And, um, yeah, I just, I think that there's so much value in community. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine too, being an expat, like I know there's expat communities. Um, but I think probably on a day-to-day basis, I would imagine it's, it's probably a pretty isolated existence, right? Like you, you feel like you, you don't necessarily know who to talk to about your unique experience of a place, of a community, um, of work uh, that's maybe not in your native language or childcare that's not in your native language. Man, like I, I would imagine that kind of breaking down those walls of, of the isolation of that lifestyle is an important piece of things too. It is. I think it depends on where you're at. Like for me personally, I'm in a, a very international community. So there are a lot of expats. And so I, I don't feel as isolated, but I think for people, especially if they've just made a move like that, it can be isolating. I think that, um, there are a ton of Facebook groups out there, like expats living in this place, expats living in that place, you know, expats that do this. But I think what I would like to create is a community for expats all over the world or people just wanting to move abroad so that they can you know, they don't have to necessarily join the group just for people in Singapore or just for mm-hmm. people in Berlin. They can just kind of go in and say, hey, my husband is an electrician. I am a teacher. We're trying to figure out what our options are. Um, these are the types of countries we're interested in. And just, you know, exactly have a conversation where it can be more intimidating to go into those closed off Facebook groups and break in and and People and those different Facebook groups too have different motivations for being in them. They're not usually like they're not in there for the same values necessarily. So the types mm-hmm. of conversations are often um, not as rich, or there there can be a lot of like really heavy opinions and judgments about um, different topics. So I would like to create a community where people everyone is welcome and people can have open and honest conversations without judgment and um, and just start making connections, making friendships even. Awesome. I love it. So Big Dreams, Bold Moves podcast, check it out. Thank you. I want to give a huge thanks to Malia Russell for her time, her thoughtful questions, and her willingness to jump into the deep end with me. Find out more about Malia at bigdreamsboldmoves.com. And you can find her podcast, Big Dreams, Bold Moves, wherever you listen to What Works. And before you go, can I ask you a favor? 
If you enjoy this kind of outside the online business box content, I'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help us reach more small business owners with this kind of content, and they make my heart skip a beat. Now, recently, Empty Nest Mom Having Fun left us this five-star review. She says, I love this podcast. Tara is so authentic and transparent when she speaks about her own journey with her business. The interviews are fantastic. I'm a CPA and have been a C-suite executive turned entrepreneur. I love how this podcast focuses on what works in the entrepreneur world. Hey, thanks, Empty Nest Mom. To leave your rating and review, open up Apple Podcasts, find what works, and share what you love about the show. We'd especially love to hear if a particular theme or guest really made a difference for you. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 230 more episodes about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.